Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Prime Time Crime, the podcast. This is Primetime Crime. I'm Katrina Daniel. And as promised, we haven't heard the last of Ghislaine Maxwell yet. A Manhattan jury found her guilty of five of the six counts against her last week. And now she's facing perhaps as many as 65 years in prison. Ben Weider, a man who's got what I think is one of the coolest jobs, investigative reporter for the vaunted Miami Herald, the paper which broke this huge Epstein story, is now with us to give us some insight into the Maxwell case that you just can't get anywhere else. From CBS News on Chris Andrews' civil suit. The prince denies the accusation and says he has no recollection of ever meeting Roberts Jeffrey. He has never been charged with any criminal offence. But legal analyst Joe Tamburino told us in the civil suit brought by Roberts Jeffrey demanding unspecified financial damages, the standard of proof is lower. If she proves more than 50%, she wins. If she doesn't prove more than 50%, she loses. If the trial goes ahead, the prince faces a deposition. Ghislaine Maxwell could be called as a witness and an attorney for Roberts Jeffrey says they also want to depose Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, all of it promising more dirty royal laundry. Ben Weider, thank you so much for joining us again. We're really honored by your presence, and I mean that sincerely. Let's talk Gillan Maxwell. Were you surprised at the verdict last week? I was a little surprised. I wouldn't say I was surprised that she was convicted of something. Um, the five of six counts was pretty overwhelming, and most significantly, the last count she was convicted of, sex trafficking of a minor, that carries with it a maximum of 40 years. Ooh. So... Um, as the deliberations had dragged on, uh, it was the full day of deliberations when, uh, when ultimately the verdict came. The sense was the longer the jury was taking, the better for Maxwell. In fact, even earlier yeah. in the day, Maxwell and her team had been smiling. They'd been happy. So, yeah, five of six counts. I mean, that was pretty overwhelming and a pretty strong statement by the jury in terms of their, their sense of her guilt. Still talking about the verdict, she was not found guilty of enticement, which surprised me. Because basically, that's what she did. She took girls shopping. She bought them clothes. She took them on trips. That is not enticement. How did she dodge that, in your opinion? Well, I think it was notable. I think I think it was connected to the first victim who testified, Jane. And Jane, um, I think that the defense probably did their best damage in terms of uh, cross-examination uh, with Jane. She was the first victim who spoke. And, and the thing, one of the things they really focused on was uh, statements Jane had made to the FBI in previous years. And, you know, basically the, the sort of picture they tried to paint was that her story had changed over time. And so it's possible that, you know, her story maybe wasn't considered the strongest by the jury because of some of that, some of that work by the defense. That, that, that would be my sort of first thought that that could be part of it. Um, because clearly, um, you know, overall the jury believed the prosecution's case broadly 
Um, but you know, there may have been aspects of the case that that uh, that they didn't fully buy, and and you know, perhaps because of, of of that, there was certainly a sense after the defense's cross examination of of Jane that they had um, that they had had some success and landed some blows. Okay, now you all blame the victim. Because at the time she was initially interviewed by the FBI, she was really wrong, young, and her story changed as she could, got older. But that could go either way, you know. That could right. Be- I mean, I think you know, I think th- there's a few things. I mean, one, I mean, the, the initial focus um, of any investigation would have originally been on Epstein, not on Maxwell. So you know, the fact that Maxwell wouldn't have been named wouldn't necessarily have been so significant. I talked to one veteran, uh, one veteran attorney who's represented some of these victims who said, you know, he had wished that they had presented someone uh, immediately before the, before the first victims testified to talk about some of the challenges with memory and recall, recollection yes. with victims. Yes. They ultimately brought yes. in people on that, but, but you know, he, his sense was that that may have prevented or, or, or sort of prepared the jury for the idea that um, there might be appear to be some holes in some of these stories, but that that doesn't necessarily mean these women aren't credible. It's right. just you know that's the nature of of, of you know recollection of sex right. crimes, or or many other crimes as well. You know, as you think right. about it right. more, facts come to light, which may or may not be facts. It could be you could be impressed by other things that have happened in the interim. What can you tell us about Gillen Maxwell's maybe or maybe not? cooperating, in other words, flipping on others. Yeah, so I mean, it, interestingly enough, I mean, certainly the speculation uh, in the months, you know, uh, more than year leading up to the trial was, you know, is Ghislaine Maxwell gonna flip? You know, many people speculated about that. We found out uh, a few weeks before the trial started that there had never even been a discussion between prosecutors and Maxwell's team about the possibility of her flipping. Um, now, even though she's been convicted, she still has the right to cooperate. She can, in fact, even cooperate uh, up to a year after uh, her sentencing. So she can see how the sentencing went and then decide at that point that she wanted to try to cooperate. Now, the challenge with her cooperating at this point, there's, there's, there's a, hand, a number of challenges. One, you know, the question is, what does she bring to the table? From the perspective of you know, the crimes that she was convicted of, the sex trafficking crimes, you know, she and Jeffrey Epstein were considered to be the top of the pyramid. So if she was talking about other co-conspirators, that's people further down the pyramid. Typically, you, you know, you wouldn't expect her to get a great reduction in sentence for sending, you know, an underling into prison. Then you think about, you know, some of the other high profile men um, who have been associated with, with Epstein and, and, um, and, and Maxwell. Prince Andrew is one of the first names that comes to mind, who's actually right. currently facing a civil suit brought by one of uh, Epstein and Maxwell's victims. And you know, could could she offer up information on some of these powerful, high-profile men? It's possible. I mean, you know, the crime that they would be convicted of yeah. potentially is not as serious as sex trafficking. So again, you know, you know, what a term that someone that, that, that a former prosecutor told me was, you know, prosecutors don't like the concept of cooperating down, so to speak. And you know, getting people on lesser crimes isn't necessarily going to typically going to lead to a huge reduction in sentence for Maxwell because the crimes she's been convicted of are more serious. Now, one interesting possibility is, you know, there is a lot of mystery still about how Jeffrey Epstein made his money. We have some sense, you know, we know some of the businessmen he's been associated with and supposedly did work for, but, you know, is there a possibility that perhaps, you know, you know, she knew about some financial scheme, perhaps involving, you know, other powerful people, perhaps not, but but if she had knowledge of another crime unrelated to the sex trafficking, maybe that would be something that she could dangle to prosecutors 
that would get them interested. Um, but you know, the, the problem for Maxwell, you know, basically Maxwell right now is not in the driver's seat. I mean, the, the prosecutors, it's up to them to decide whether they want to take any information she gives them or not. And she has to put her cards on the table before they make a decision about whether they want to accept it or not. So she would have to tell them, this is what I've got. And then they make a decision. Is that enough for us or not? She can't be coy and hold back. She has to tell them everything she knows. Um, it also would make it very challenging for her to appeal um, uh, the case. She'd have to acknowledge her guilt. Uh, she could still appeal the sentencing. So let's say she cooperated. You know, the way cooperation works, she cooperates. The prosecutors would file a letter to say, hey, she cooperated. We think you should give her a lesser sentence to the judge. The judge doesn't have to accept it. I mean, the judge could still right. sentence her to the same sentence she'd be facing otherwise. She could then still, even if she cooperated, she could still then appeal the sentence that she was given if she felt it was unfair or you know that her cooperation should have merited a, a, a lower sentence or, or for some other issue. But it would be very hard for her to, to, to appeal the verdict itself. So that is a risk that she takes. And there's a risk, too, that some of the crimes she might have information about could be beyond the, st the statute of limitations. And so, you know, it, they may be very difficult to prosecute. So she's certainly not in a great position or a position of strength when it comes to um, negotiating, unless, again, she has some, you know, bombshell information that, you know, that is going to open up, open up, you know, either uh, implicate um, other high-profile people in very serious crimes connected to sex trafficking or otherwise. I mean, and, and one example that, that someone pointed out to me, which is an interesting example, is if you think about the Varsity Blues scandal, this was the thing where wealthy parents, uh, including, yeah. you know, the actress Lori Laughlin, had yeah. paid uh, money to basically get their kids into school by pretending they were athletes. So that whole, that whole investigation came about because someone in, a, in an unrelated securities fraud case, a cooperating witness yes. said, hey, yeah. I know about this other thing. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it's possible that she could provide information about, let's say, a financial crime that occurred unrelated to the sex trafficking, but that might be enough for prosecutors to say, we're interested in that. You know, we would recommend shaving, you know, a number of years off of your sentence in exchange for that. How worried do you think Prince Andrew should be? You know, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, in terms of what the legal impact um, on his current case, uh, at least his civil case, you know, the, the impact is minimal. Now, that's legally. If, you know, if his current civil suit were to go to a jury, certainly if you're Prince Andrew, you probably wouldn't be feeling very good about your prospects after you've just seen what happened to Ghislaine Maxwell. You know, and, and one of the things that Prince Andrew is arguing is that he's protected by a, uh, a settlement that Virginia Giuffre, who has sued him, reached with Jeffrey Epstein in 2009, which didn't right. explicitly name him, but you know, you could, you could read it as, as perhaps suggesting that he was shielded from liability. Uh, now, Maxwell herself had tried to argue in the criminal case that she was protected by a non-prosecution agreement Epstein had reached in 2007, um, but again, also didn't explicitly name her, but you know, shielded co-conspirators, you know, she didn't get anywhere with that argument in the criminal no. case. So you know, you'd think that, that for Andrew, both the conviction and you know, just, just how the Maxwell case went and the arguments she made, that that wouldn't bode very well for Prince Andrew. And you know, the prosecutors in Maxwell's case had said earlier in the proceedings that their investigation into Epstein and Maxwell and you know, other co-conspirators was ongoing. So it's possible we'll see other charges. And, and you know, you know, your first thought might be that it might be other women who you know, allegedly recruited and groomed girls um, in, in addition to Maxwell, yeah, but like certainly some of these high profile men. Exactly. 
Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. How worried should a Sarah Kellen be, who who's married to what a race car driver named yes. Ian Vickers now, right, and she right. she also claims to be she's playing the victim card too. Right. Well, actually, it's interesting you say she's playing the victim card because so far Maxwell hasn't done that, and that's actually an interesting question. Right. Maxwell has not really claimed that she was a victim. You know, her her lawyers sort of said, oh, she was a little bit under Epstein's sway. But, but not to say that she was a victim, more to say that, you know, he smooth-talked her the same way that he smooth-talked everyone else. It is interesting to think about whether, you know, it, it will be interesting to see whether now, you know, as they present potential mitigating information, you know, as we approach sentencing, is that something they might try to claim now? Uh, even though they haven't done it before now, you know, there's nothing stopping them from doing that. Uh, and, and it's not uncommon in these kinds of cases for women who are recruiters in sex trafficking enterprises to say, you know, hey, I started as a victim, as, as Sarah Kellen has, in fact. Uh, and Sarah Kellen, and, and, and in general, Sarah Kellen and, and, and many other women who, you know, are accused of having helped facilitate these crimes, Leslie Groff being one, you know, there is a question as to, to what as, as to whether or not they are already cooperating with, with the government in some capacity. Have they reached agreements of some sort? Um, none of them testified at the trial. The government had said that potentially there would be testimony from a, a New York assistant who had information relating to, among other things, you know, deleting, uh, um, turning over, seizing electronic do- uh, materials from Epstein's home in, uh, in New York after Palm Beach police started investigating Epstein originally in 2005, um, and, and potentially was going to testify about other things involving Maxwell. Uh, they never called her to the stand. And, you know, but it, it, you know, certainly there was this question when she was teased as a potential witness there, you know, raised this question of, you know, are other, other potential recruiters or alleged recruiters going to testify? None did. That doesn't mean they aren't cooperating in some capacity. Maybe they informed aspects of the, uh, you know, of the charges against, against Maxwell. Uh, But, you know, certainly there's no, it it doesn't rule out the possibility that any number of them could face charges. Do you think Gillian Maxwell will be put on suicide watch? Well, I mean, she effectively has been for her entire time in custody so far. Okay. And in fact, that was a long-running point of contention uh, that her lawyers raised. Uh, you know, she talked about being subject to, you know, multiple wellness checks every night where they kind of flashed a, a flashlight in her room um, that made it difficult for her to sleep at night, you know, and of being followed everywhere and of being, um, you know, subject to being, you know, surveilled everywhere she went. And it was an interesting, you know, th- there was always this interesting, you know, interplay where on the one hand, her, her um, lawyers would argue, you know, she should be treated like everyone else and not subject to these strict conditions, except they would also argue she needs to have more access to her computer and better computing equipment, even though she was being given more time to access her evidence than anyone else in the same facility really? in New York. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's. Uh, it's an interesting question, I, but I would, you know, certainly you would think that nothing about this would would change that. But yeah, I mean, she was effectively held in solitary confinement. So what would be really interesting will be, you know, for all of her complaints about her experiences, um, you know, we'll now see potentially how she likes having a roommate, um, which, you know, she effectively hasn't had to have until now. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword. If she were not given 24-hour surveillance, and she was successful in killing herself, then her defense team would blame the government and the Bureau of Corrections, the Department of Corrections, and now they're, they're complaining that she's not got enough privacy. The, you know, what do they expect? That's ridiculous. 
That's a bad argument. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the truth of the matter is the, the truth of the matter is, I mean, they they they, you know, they they made the argument time and time and time again that she should be released uh, on bail, which yeah, never, like seven which, times, and right, which never succeeded. And and no. I mean, you know, so these were complaints that they had, but uh, you know, the real complaint was always that she was never released on bail, and certainly, you know, she's she's be currently still being held, and and if you thought she, you know, if the government thought she was a flight risk before she was convicted. You'd have to think she's an even greater flight risk now that she knows exactly what she could be facing. So, you know, it's it's very, very, very unlikely that she would be released at any time. In fact, you know, there are, for example, I, you know, I asked uh, I asked the prosecutor about this. There are some people who, who, if they appeal their case, if they have a short sentence, they actually can make an argument that they should be released while they're awaiting the appeal. Let's say you're facing a six-month sentence. You know the appeal is going to yeah. take up to a year to, to do. Yeah. You might say, listen, it's unfair to, you know, make me serve my six-month sentence if um, I might be, I might be successful in my appeal. Now, in her case, given that she was already considered a flight risk, it's, it's highly unlikely that she would get any sort of reprieve in terms of being released. And uh, I think that what we saw in her reaction to the verdict, you can't know what someone else is thinking, but certainly the enormity of the potential sentence she could be facing, you know, does seem to have registered as she took yeah. in the verdict, you know, okay. and, and was stunned and, and later kind of slumped in her chair and left the courtroom without making eye contact with her, her siblings who had been attending the trial religiously. Yeah, they were very loyal to her, which I find admirable on their part. But hey, um, what was your take on uh, Judge Allison Nathan? Um, I think she tried uh, largely successfully to, to, to sort of keep the trial from becoming a circus, which, you know, when you have the names that are associated with Epstein and Maxwell, it certainly could have been. Um, you know, she had a challenging task, and, and this is an interesting question that, you know, I, I wonder whether it will come up in appeal. You, you sort of got a sense as the deliberations stretched on of, 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 of almost desperation or fear on her part that, you know, Omicron uh, and COVID could, you know, could blow the whole thing up. And so, you know, she was encouraging the jurors to deliberate longer and was really very concerned for, you know, for good reason, I think, as you saw the spread in uh, in New York, yes. that yeah. you know, and, and these, and I should point out, the jurors were not sequestered, so they were going home every day. So right. you know, she was really worried that the trial was going to be sort of blown up on that part. And um, so, I mean, if you're if you're Maxwell's team, I would imagine that's one thing you might raise on appeal. You know, right. a question as to whether you could argue that she was pressuring the jury, which you know, it's a it's a delicate dance because she would say every day, "Why don't you think about staying later?" Of course, take all the time that you need. Um, but at the same time, was making it very clear that, you know, she was eager for them to render a verdict given, uh, given the risk that was out there. But otherwise, I mean, I, you know, listen, obviously Maxwell's team has made it clear that they plan to appeal. Um, they've started the initial steps that you would need to take to, to file an appeal. But I, you know, I don't think I don't get the sense from talking to people that there is a sense that there were, there was, you know, gross misconduct in how the, yeah. the trial was yeah. handled. It was yeah. described by many as like a fairly clean trial. So, yeah. um, you know, in terms of how she handled it, and I think if you're the defense, you know, you can point to a few things and say, listen, most of the things weren't ruled in our favor, but we did get a few victories. And one of the six counts was returned not guilty. You know, you had a jury that was not completely turned against you and was willing to take contrary uh, evidence to what the prosecutors were saying. Talk to me if you know anything about the, I guess, below the radar divorce end of marriage with uh between Gillian Maxwell and Scott Borgerson. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a shocker, although the marriage yeah. itself was a bit of a shocker. Right, um, so even her, her siblings. Right, and I, I think there were intimations uh, earlier that um, that maybe the marriage wasn't so happy even at this point, even before. So it doesn't come as a huge surprise. And I I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is a motivation. I don't claim to have any knowledge, but I would imagine if, you know, if your wife has been convicted of this and, and potentially could be facing now civil suits on top of these criminal suits, you probably want to, you know, get your assets walled off um, <laughs> where no yeah. one could potentially touch them. Because, uh, you know, you have to think that, I mean, Maxwell has already faced several civil suits, but you'd have to think that there could be others coming down the road. And so, you know, from his perspective, for any number of reasons, uh, I mean, listen, they weren't public about this before. I, I don't know that now would be the time you'd want to be, you know, publicly declaring your relationship. Yeah, well, sure. It's it's the gift that keeps on giving. The, the Glenn Maxwell, Jeffrey. It is. it is. Can I put you on a spot here? Sure. Do you think Epstein committed suicide? You know, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, his brother maintained uh, that he did not. And, you know, I think the, the sense from a lot of people is that he did not. I mean, as to whether someone killed him or not, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, that, that's the problem with any sort of conspiratorial thought is you have to, you know, you then have to say, well, then who actually did this? And clearly the prison guards did not do their job properly that night. There were a yeah. lot of things that didn't happen the way they should have happened. And so whether he killed himself or not, what happened was not right. And, uh, you know, and I think some of those, some of the things, some of the, the uh, complaints, I think, were quietly settled. I mean, there, there were a lot of problems with that. It's interesting, though. I mean, the flip side is you look at what, what Maxwell has just gone through. And, um, you know, I don't think that Epstein would have wanted to go through that. So, you know, that's the argument against <laughs> the See, idea that he didn't kill himself. I, maybe my argument is that he was such a narcissist that he wouldn't harm himself. I mean, you look back at all the pictures of him, and this is interesting because he had so much money. You look back at all the pictures of him, you notice he never smiles with his mouth open. Hmm. Yeah. Just go back and look at it. He's got these really little yellow crooked teeth. That's right, yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting too. I mean, I, you know, they, they, one of the things that was released in the trial of Maxwell was a bunch of photos of Maxwell and Epstein and you have a lot of these photos where Ep Maxwell is, you know, kissing Epstein. I mean, in some cases she's, you know, like giving him this very, you know, sensual and sexual foot massage as well. Yep. But you have all these images where she's, you know, kissing him and seems to be sort of smitten with him. And he's never really returning that. Yeah. He's just kind of taking it. He's not yeah. emanating he's not really or giving it, it back. Yeah. 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 And so I think... You know, the idea, you know, of, of Jeffrey Epstein as an artist is certainly not, uh, would not be surprising. Uh, and so, you know, to that point, yes, it's, it's certainly, you know, it's hard to think, I mean, so much of his life was managed by other people. Uh, it's hard to see him taking the, uh, taking his life in his own, into his own hands. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you, you imagine if Jeffrey Epstein wanted to do something like that, he'd have someone do it for him. Uh, so you have to do it yeah. himself. Bring in the sheets, would you please? <laughs> right, right, right. So, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's still it's still really uh, hard to believe. And frankly, I think you know, with with the, with his death and the mystery surrounding his death, it hung over you know the Maxwell proceedings. Um, right. At every turn, at every step, you just almost expected something crazy to happen. You know, the fact that the trial actually happened, there weren't any major complications. You know, the verdict was delivered. She's still in custody. I mean, 
you know, the fact that this all happened without any major hiccups is, is in some ways almost surprising given yeah, everything right. that had happened with Epstein. Ben, thank you as usual for your insight. It, it's really enjoyable. We always feel like we're behind the curtain and we get to see what the wizard is doing. Well, I, I am always happy to talk with you. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.